just bind fear in Jesus' name over me specifically, but also in this room in the name of Jesus. I bind anxiety in the name of Jesus. I cancel the assignment of impatience in Jesus' name. And I bind doubt in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, thank you for patience. Thank you for faith. Thank you for peace. Thank you for perfect love that casts out fear. Just come have your way. I pray, uh, Lord, would you help me to see the difference between striking the rock and speaking to the rock? In Jesus' name, amen. Something the Lord's been talking to me about is that episode with Moses striking the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. It was a big violation, and I feel like this is something. I'm kind of a rock striker, and I've been praying a lot about not being that way. So, Lord, help me. Okay, so this is a message about discerning the war, true and false revival. How many people have heard that there's, like, college campuses all over the country that are getting touched right this second? Good. We're kind of all on the same page. This is important. It is very important that we ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying about this? What are you doing about this? Now, if you hear, and I'm just going to pray it. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that we'd hear with ears of the Spirit and not with ears of the flesh in Jesus' name. If you hear what the Bible says, what I'm about to say, what anybody's saying, with the flesh, you'll hear either I'm for that or I'm against that. But when the angel of the Lord came to take the city of Jericho, they were like, are you with us? Are you against us? He's like, I'm here for the Lord. (laughs) I'm doing what the Lord says. We want to know what the Lord is saying to us about us in the context of what's happening right now. Okay, and that's really the point of this, or the, the hope of this message is to just hear, not, we think this is good, we think this is bad, Tom thinks this is good, Tom thinks this is bad. I just want to know what God's saying to me. That's all I can manage anyway. So, all right. So one, the war against the church in Israel in the last days. There's a war promised to come against Israel and the church in the last days. I believe personally that that war is happening right now in the initial stages of it. The reason I believe that is because I watch Israel and I listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling me and I read the Bible and the Bible says, Israel be shaken among the nations like grain is sifted in a sieve. And right now, there's a lot of opinions about what Israel should be doing because Israel just had an election. She just got a new government. There's all kinds of possibility that people are feeling and all kinds of fear that people are feeling. In fact, if you look, hundreds of thousands of Israelis are protesting right now. That should catch our attention. We should be like, wait a second. God, are you trying to tell us something? And he is. Because at the very same time, the Spirit's being poured out. I can, can you feel the Spirit on that just right now, just this convergence of things? Like, this should get our attention. We should be like, okay, God, we've been praying about that, waiting for that, watching for that for so long. Like, Israel is being shaken. Her people are being shaken. There's uncertainty. She's had this time of peace. The Abraham Accords have brought peace to Israel in a way That's never happened before since Israel was destroyed in 70 AD. And that peace is breaking right now. She's being shaken and God's pouring out his spirit on America in a really pronounced way. That should get our attention. Okay, God, you got my attention. What are you saying? Holy Spirit, talk to us. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short, that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, 
Now, isn't that funny that the dragon, he doesn't even know that he's been cast to the earth until he's cast to the earth. Like, it's, the movement is so fast. It's so swift. I just picture him being like, whoa, hey, what? And then he starts to lash out, okay? So we want to be ready for things to change quickly. When he saw that he had been cast to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, when I picture this, this flood, like the dragon spewing out a flood, and it not being able to catch the woman, I just kind of picture Jesus as an infant in Bethlehem. And Herod's like, we're killing all the kids under the age of two. We're going to get that kid. And in a dream, Joseph takes his son to Egypt for three and a half years. And that flood comes out and does not catch him. And surely the, the, the devil was enraged with that. Like, I, I, that's just, I just, I feel like that. The Holy Spirit gave me that picture just to kind of understand, okay, what exactly is this talking about? And that rage is going to get turned on the church according to this passage, okay? Now, I believe that when you see the Spirit being poured out, if you look in the Bible, you're going to find every, every time that happens, a war envelops the people that it was poured out on. So in Joel 2, you know, that's like the preeminent passage about the outpouring of the Spirit. Joel 2 talks about the prayer meeting. It talks about what God does in response to the prayer meeting. Then it talks about the Spirit being poured out. It talks about everyone who calls on the name of the Lord being saved. And then in Joel 3, there's a war. You'll see the same thing in Acts, Acts 2. Acts 2, there's a prayer meeting. The Spirit's poured out. People come. They call on the name of the Lord. They get saved. And then we see a war erupt against the church. Do you see what I'm saying? The same thing is described in the end times. So Revelation 12 and 13, you're going to see that exact same reality described. There's a prayer. There's a night and a prayer, a cry. The Spirit is poured out. Many will come out of the Great Tribulation, Revelation 7. They'll actually stand before the Lord day and night because they found the place of drink and they found the place of refreshing. And then a war comes in Revelation 12, 13. We see that the evidence of that war all the way till the end of the until the end of 20. Okay. And so let's just keep this in mind as, as uh, I go through these notes. So this this war is a prophetic war. And you can see it in this passage. It starts in the spirit, but it comes down to the earth. So all of the physical things that we're seeing on the earth. They are not the problem. They are the symptoms of the problem. The problem is a spiritual problem. It's the lack of le- the leadership of God on the planet that creates all of the lack, all of the wars, all the quarrels, all the problems. So we want to understand the physical war. When you see the physical war, the spiritual war has already occurred mostly. It doesn't mean that it's done, but it means that there's something that's happened that's resulting in a symptom. It's very tempting to just react to the things we see in the world and think, okay, we got to react to these things because they're problems. But the truth is, God wants us to be prophetic. He actually wants us to know what's coming. So this is a very humbling act- activity, if you'll try it. When you see something new, ask the Lord, Lord, did I know that was coming? Is this something you've warned me about? If not, it's a good idea to just be quiet about it for a minute, rather than just reacting to it, telling everybody what you think it is. If you haven't already heard from the Lord what it is, or some way to anticipate it, it's better just to be quiet for a minute. But if he has told you, then it's better to testify what he's told you. Okay, we want to be a prophetic people. We do not want to keep reacting to the changes in the earth. If we do that, we'll react right into rebellion against God. 
Okay, we want to be a prophetic people. That's really the, the point of that Revelation 10 passage where John eats that little book and then prophesies. We see that then he can measure the temple, measure the, the worship that's happening in the temple. Okay, now, where the spirit moves, the flesh also starts moving. So right now, when you see the spirit moving all over the, the country on these campuses, and I, it's not limited to the United States. There's actually, uh, people are saying revival's happening in the city of Jerusalem. There's young people. I watch Sakat Halal. The worship that's happening with young people every evening with Sakat Halal is amazing. Like, there's something happening many places. When you see the spirit move, you have to know the flesh is moving too. Because the enemy... He's at war against the leadership of the spirit. And the only way he can do that is to inspire the flesh. In Galatians 5, we see the flesh wars against the spirit. It's jealous against the spirit. The spirit's jealous against the flesh. These two, they have enmity with each other. Okay, so that's just a, a kind of a basic Bible thing. When you see the spirit moving, you don't have to be that's good or bad. You can say, yeah, the spirit's moving. Of course, God's doing something. But the flesh is moving too. And I want to discern the fact that both are happening simultaneously. That's all I'll say about that. Okay, so this war cannot be won in carnality. It must be won by the Spirit because that is the origin of the conflict. It's a war for your soul, not for the world. The war for the world is done. It's already been won. Jesus won it on the cross. He said, it is finished. It is done. He won the world. The war at this point is for your soul and for my soul. It's for how much leadership we want to give God over us. That's the war, okay? So when you see... The spirit being poured out and then a conflict arising, it's very tempting to be like, the war is about that conflict, about that geographic location, about the church. No, the war is about what you think about it. It's about what you're going to do in response to the climate or the context that you're living in. What What is God asking you to do to see right, to testify right, to be a witness right in this moment so that you can give more of your soul to him? In fact, in Luke 21, it says, by your patience, possess your soul like it's important to understand all of the sifting and sit shaking it's designed to get you to start reacting and just let go of your mind your will and your emotions to just let the enemy dictate what you do based on what he's doing does that make sense okay so second corinthians 10 3 to 5 for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for pulling down strongholds cast now this is how we fight Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought, not just the hopeful ones, not just the bitter ones, not just the angry ones, not just the excited ones, every thought. God, what do, you, do you feel the same way that I feel about this? Do you think the same thing that I think about this? I'm excited about something. I should recognize this is something that could move me. God, what do you think about this thing that's about to move me? What do you think about it? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There is always a war happening. Always. The war doesn't take a break. So you might be like, this is a time of refreshing. The war's over for a minute. Let's do the refreshing. No, that's where the war is targeting. If God's releasing refreshing, you can guarantee Satan is not happy about that. Satan, he's outnumbered two to one. There's twice as many angels on God's side as there are on Satan's side. That means Satan, he has to play a zone defense. He cannot play man-to-man. He, he could never win that way. So he has to target the strongest areas in the kingdom. So wherever the spirit's moving, you can guarantee the flesh is moving and Satan is accusing something in the middle of that. We don't want to get caught in that accusation. We don't want to get caught making any determinations about what's good and what's evil. It's very tempting to make determinations that something's good and get swept up into something really negative. 
It's also very tempting to make determination something's bad and miss the very thing God's using to actually unlock your heart. You don't want to do either. You just want to say, God, what are you saying about this? Let me, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Okay? Now, this is the, just a Cliff Notes version, this is the whole point of your life is to learn how to hear God and obey him. So these are great moments to hear God and obey him. When you're excited about something, when you're afraid of something, when you see something unique in the earth, and there's something unique happening. Okay, um, there's always a war. It never stops until Satan is defeated. And this Revelation 19, 19 passage, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now, I just want you to think about this passage for a second. What precedes this? Somebody tell me, what's the picture in the Bible that precedes this? Jesus on on a white horse, and the, the armies of heaven dressed in white behind him, and on his thighs written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Out of his mouth proceeds a sharp two-edged sword. Jesus has returned is the point. When Jesus returns, the nations of the earth are going to declare war against him. So it's very tempting to be like, you know, once Jesus comes back, he's going to wave his hand. Everything's going to be cool. It's going to be great. That's, you know, this is the first fruits of that coming. It's just good news from here on out. No, it's a war from here on out. It's a war coming. Every eye will see him. The nations will mourn him, and then they will go to war against him. Because you can see a miracle, and three weeks later, forget you even saw the miracle. And be completely worried, afraid, trying to control the very thing you saw the miracle in three weeks earlier. The human heart is crazy fickle. On its own, it wars against the spirit. And so there's a war coming against the spirit. When you see the spirit start to get poured out, you got to know there's a war of the flesh coming against that spirit being poured out, okay? Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he, everybody say it, deceived. Let's say it together, deceived. Those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Revelation 20, 1 to 4. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, this is the very next verses. I just broke it out because it's the next chapter, but it's the very next verse. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So there's a war that's going to last all the way until the point Satan is bound for a thousand years. And then Satan's left back out, and what happens? A war. There's a war until Satan is defeated and cast into the lake of fire. And cast him in the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. So when you see an outpouring of the Spirit, you should be seeing strength to stand even to the point of death. If you don't see that in the center of the pouring out of the Spirit, then you're seeing people that are getting ready to fail. If you see a celebration of all that God's going to do on the earth and how this is a victory and how we're going to win, and you don't see people preparing to lose their heads, then you're seeing something that is probably real, but not that helpful to the people that aren't sobering themselves and humbling themselves and recognizing God's giving and he's going to require something in that. The disciples in Acts 2, 
They recognized that. Peter, he preached in Acts 2. Thousands were cut to the heart. They got saved, and Peter soberly was like, okay, let's get back into the prayer meeting that resulted in the outpouring, that resulted in you being here. Let's not try to ride this wave. Actually, let's go back into the prayer meeting that started this whole thing because God is doing something. God has an opinion that is extending thousands and thousands of years past this moment in time. He's actually looking to, to save people, to into talking to him and obeying him, into learning self-control, into learning how to be kind to each other, gentle with each other. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a whole, the, the fruit of revival matters way more than the stirring of revival to God. It's what remains. The, the revival, when the wind blows and the fire comes, that is actually a baptism process. That's a threshing. That's a sifting. It's what remains that God is looking for. It's very tempting to get caught up in the movement and be like, oh, we don't want to miss the movement. You won't miss the movement. You won't miss the movement unless you're trying to save your own life. Then you might miss the movement. But if you're trying to die to yourself, the movement will come to you. And when it does, you want to be ready for it. You actually want to recognize, oh, the movement is intended to refine me, to find out the parts of me that want God, that want the leadership of the Sermon on the Mount, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to become generous and give stuff away, to actually fast and pray secretly, like to get into the place where, where you know, all the Sermon on the Mount realities. It all gets tested. Okay. Uh, I, said, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's the goal, right? We want, to, we want to be part of the first resurrection. We want to live and reign with Christ. So we want to recognize that we need endurance to make it through the offensive times that are coming and the false prophecies that are rising up all around us right now. We want to be sober-minded, diligent, self-controlled. The enemy's like a lion looking for whom he might devour. We want to be a people that we don't fight people. We don't fight what God's doing in people. We actually resist our own flesh and our own opinions about what's good and evil. And we let God speak to us and then lead us safely through turbulent times. Right now, you're in a very turbulent time. If you're on social media at all, you know this is turbulent. What's happening is turbulence, okay? Now, this is a war between Satan and us. Us. We are the main threat to Satan. Satan isn't really warring against a world following him. I mean, he's not warring against people already following him right? He likes it that way. He's like, just keep that all calm. <laughs> I'm going to war against people not following me. The people that are trying to reach to be like Jesus. I'm warring against them. He's warring against our following of Jesus's way. Not what Jesus got. Not what Jesus necessarily ex expressed. And we see the way Jesus carried his heart and lived his life that resulted in that expression of power. Do you see what I'm saying? It's very tempting to try and be, you like counterfeit Jesus's power impatiently, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to actually follow Jesus's way, that manifest power that can't be taken away, okay? So true and false revival. The main facet of the war against the saints will be what the modern church calls revival. I, there, there are passages in the Bible that talk about being revived, being refreshed, our faith being revived, our heart being revived, times of refreshing. But the word outpouring seems to be more, more commonly used in the Bible for what I think a lot of people are calling revival right now. It's an outpouring of the Spirit. And I do believe that the Spirit's being poured out right now. So the main facet of the war against the saints will be what the modern church calls revival or an outpouring of the Spirit. The Spirit being poured out is a biblical prophecy that marks the last days. It should mark an increase 
and the Holy Spirit activity of those, it's poured out on and, everybody say and, a witness for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It should be, it should mark an increase in the Holy Spirit activity. What would that look like? What would an increase in Holy Spirit activity look like? All the fruits of the Spirit. That would be primary. That would be the most important witness that the Holy Spirit was present. There are other things that are present, right? What are some of the other things that are present? The gifts, healing, signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of prophecy, all the things that we see in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5. These should, that should mark an outpouring of the Spirit, all of that. What's that? Repentance. Who's repenting in the revival in Acts 2? The people in the upper room are repenting pre or post spirit being poured out. Pre. Who's repenting post spirit being poured out? All the people who come. So if there is, let's just imagine there was an outpouring and there was, and the people who had been repenting into it, the fire and the wind came and God was doing something unique with them. Who would you expect to be lined up to come in and see what's going on? Unbelievers, right? Everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. It should be a witness to unbelievers. Hey, waiting on God actually produced something. And these people, they were repenting. They're getting clean hands and a pure heart, and the king of glory came in. You can do that too. It's an invitation. So we want to watch. At the places where God's pouring out his spirit, are there, is there room for a bunch of unbelievers to be like, what is this? Or is it crowded out by a hungry group of people that don't have the thing, but they already believe? Are they all there for trying to get something they should already have back home? Or are they just kind of coming? Is it self-centered? Is it like crowding everything out because they're so hungry and so impatient, so desperate to get something that we're not thinking about why? Why is the Spirit being poured out? Holy Spirit, what are you saying about this right now? Are you generous? Are you, doing, are you going to do this all over the earth? Do I have to be afraid I'm going to miss it if I don't go to it? He would say, you're going to miss it if you go to it. If I'm already ready to do something with you, if I can't get you to stop moving, then how would I ever pour anything out on you? So we have to look at these places where this is happening. Some of them, people have been tarrying for years for it to happen. It's very tempting for a very desperate for God church to be like, give it to me. Right? Is that the heart of Jesus? It, it might be, but it might not be. I don't know if it's the heart of Jesus for somebody. You don't know if it's the heart of Jesus for somebody. But to just assume that's Jesus' heart or to assume that's not Jesus' heart, neither of those is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? We just don't know. But can you know where Jesus wants you to get fed? Can you know where Jesus wants you to tarry? Can you know where Jesus wants you to drink? Can you? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And it's not hard. <laughs> Except for it's hard on the flesh. It's hard to see Jesus giving somebody else something and not coveting it for yourself. It's very difficult on the flesh. So we have to be a people that are recognizing there's a war. There's a war for my soul right now. Am I losing the war trying to get the thing I'm so desperately impatient for? Am I losing the very war because I'm not discerning it? I'm not actually seeing there's much more going on than what's happening on the earth. There's something happening in the spirit. Always. Thank you, Tim. Always. There's something God wants to give us. There's something God wants to free us from. 
He wants to free us from fear primarily and impatience primarily. So we could just have a couple of hints. If I'm feeling fear and I'm feeling impatience, if I feel like I'm going to miss it all and I'm feeling impatient to get it, maybe that's not the Lord. Let me talk to the Lord and see, is the fruit of the Spirit in the way I'm feeling about this? You see what I'm saying? This is going to be more and more and more and more and more and more and more important as the days unfold. That's why Hebrews 10 says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Going boldly before the throne of grace, stirring up one another in love and good works, even more so as you see the day approaching. This is why. Because the satanic plan to deceive and the prophetic plan to redeem, as Satan, as the heavens are rolled up like a scroll, as truth is unveiled, the margin for Satan to counterfeit and to lie is going to get tighter and tighter and tighter to the very thing that Satan's false representatives say will sound exactly like the truth, except for the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will be the only way you will be able to discern. This is what, the, what Jesus said in the parable of the, the tares and the wheat. The servant was like, should we pull those up? And Jesus is like, no, you might pull up some of the wheat with the tares. You've got to understand, their roots are intertwined. It's only what bears fruit. That's all. the only way you're going to know what's true. Is it patient? Is it kind? Is it gentle? Is it self-controlled? Does it consider itself least? Does it go to the bottom? Or is it trying to rise up to the top? Do you, do you guys see how many people are suddenly standing at Asbury reporting live on scene so that their ministry is represented there? That's not the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, that's not the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit calls them to go on scene and to do something, that's one thing. But to self-promote and crowd out a place to the point where People that don't know Jesus can't literally are waiting in line for hours and hours and hours to get in. I just, Sam and I are about to leave. I pray if the spirit pours out here that we are not a people that are okay with lines going down the street. I pray that that would break our hearts. I pray that we would be a people that are like, how do we get this out? How do we spread this out? Holy Spirit, what are you saying about this? That we don't think it's our time. That we don't think this is our moment to shine. We think, Jesus, what are you doing here? I pray that we be a people that don't interrupt our prayer schedule for revival. I pray that we be a people that are like, okay, if you want to be a part of this, come into the prayer room. Let's do the prayer room. Let's do the prayer room. That's what got this going, right? I just, I'm looking at Asbury's leadership, and I'm like, these are humble people. They're pulling the plug on this thing on Wednesday, (laughs) and they've got literally the whole country on their lawn, and they're like, we're not serving our kids that paid to go to college here. (laughs) Like, That's the heart of the Lord. That is the heart of the Lord, to keep your commitments, to have integrity, to be patient. If if, if, if a revival is so fragile, you do anything wrong, it breaks, that's not God. That's not God. God, help me to speak to the rock and not strike it in Jesus' name. The Spirit being poured out is a biblical prophecy that marks the last days. It should mark an increase in the Holy Spirit activity of those it is poured out on and a witness for everyone who calls the name of the Lord. And that's Joel 2, 28 to 32. We kind of talked about that already. This outpouring results in a spiritual war of the church and manifests in the physical war on the earth. So right after Joel 2, you see this Joel 3 passage. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. That's a negative thing. When the weak say, I am strong, if they're saying that I can resist this day because it's in me to do it, that's delusion. You see, and God's like, go ahead. I'm going to give you over to your delusion. 
Go ahead, beat your, your plowshare into pruning hooks or into spears. Come against God. Think you're strong to come against God? Do you know that everybody who wars against God doesn't know they're warring against God? That's what Gamaliel said to the Sanhedrin. He's like, guys, if this isn't of God, it will burn out. If we fight this, we might find ourselves fighting God. They fought, found themselves fighting God. They were fighting God. You do not want to fight God. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Every nation will be susceptible to this. The United States will go to war against Jesus. I guarantee it. Every nation. There's not one nation accepted from this. This same war occurred in Acts 2 to 6. The Spirit was poured out. Those tearing were endowed with power. Those wanting truth came and were born again. The participants in the whole process made choices based on the increase and won and lost the war. People that were present in Acts 2, in the company of people that were praying day and night before the Spirit was poured out, some of them lost the war in the pouring out of the Spirit. Some of them won the war in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be a humble people that reads these passages and are like, both happened. Okay, so I want to read you this. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, now if you know the story, you know the Spirit was poured out. Thousands were added to this tiny number. 120 people suddenly became like 3,120 and then 8,120. Like it was growing like crazy. And the, the management system of keeping people together was breaking down. And so the leaders, the, the, mostly the 12, but probably all 120 had some part in this. They're like, this isn't working. This is wearing us out. Whenever you find yourself in a place where this is wearing us out, a good idea is probably the worst thing that could possibly happen. You need the Holy Spirit to remind you of what got you there in the first place. God, I just pray that for us, when managing people starts to wear us out, that good ideas would not be our answer. It would be what got us here in the first place. Now listen. And the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. How do you think Jesus felt about that? Jesus is the word of God and serve tables. He said, the greatest of you shall be the least. They didn't like that. That did not feel good. There was so much pressure. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we'll give ourselves continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. Did Jesus do that? No. Jesus did not do that. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Ever say a whole multitude? The Holy Spirit put that in there for a reason. When everybody's like, this is a great idea, you should know it's probably not. If there was somebody that was like, wait a second, shouldn't we consider this from this perspective with the Holy Spirit? We should know that when everybody's in agreement, that's a, that's a kind of a Babylonian reality. The gospel leads us to get along with people we disagree with. It's the harmony of the gospel. It's the antiphony. It's what we're about to talk about on in, in March 3rd through 5th. The, the 1 Corinthians 11 through 15 is describing something. What's 1 Corinthians 12 describing? The pouring out of what? The Holy Spirit, the gifts. It says one spirit's given, but it's a diversity of gifts, right? And it says, is everybody a pastor? Is everybody a apostle? Is everybody a teacher? Everybody an evangelist? No. But desire this one thing more than any other, right? What's the one thing we're supposed to desire more than anything else? Love, right? This is the greatest thing, this love. Faith, hope, and love will, will remain. The prophecy, it's, it's dim, right? The tongues are going to go away. It's what this shaking, this movement produces. That's what God's really measuring. The love, the faith, the hope. 
So we have to understand, like, Paul writes to the Corinthians because the spirit being poured out was leading them to fall away. He's correcting the Corinthian church. First Corinthians and second Corinthians is a correction of a group of people that are experiencing revival. And he's like, you're way out of order. You're, you're using the, the liberty of the spirit for the flesh. You're giving license to the flesh. That's what was sifting people out. Like, this is something God's talking to us about right now. Like, it's, it's worth it to come and to repent, to be like, I'm jealous. When I hear about something happening somewhere else, I'm feeling impatient. I'm kind of jealous. Like, God, why aren't you doing this here? Then we just say, God, I'm jealous. And he's like, I understand. I, I see you as faithful. If the older brother in the parable of the prodigal sons would have went to his dad and said, Dad, I'm jealous. Dad would have been like, dude, do you know how I feel about you? I'm giving this boy something because he needs it. But I love you. You're always with me. I don't need to revive you into being with me. You're with me. You're with me. Settle down, son. Let's do this together. Let's disciple the nations together. Into what? Into movement, shaking, sifting? No. Into obedience, into listening, into talking to me, into being my son, my family. I learned this a long time ago. I was at IHOP back in like... I don't remember when, 2011, 2012, and the awakening at IHOP happened in 2009, and there were still remnants of it left at the end, and you'd go to a meeting there, and it was like, man, there's something happening in this room I've never experienced before, and I remember the leader would say, you know, is anybody feeling the spirit on you? And people would raise their hands, and as somebody who didn't know anything about it, I'm like, oh, God loves them, and he was like, you need something from God. Everybody else, pray for them. They're, they're the ones in trouble. Like, not, he didn't say it like that, but the, the idea was God was touching the people that needed a touch from God, and the people that weren't getting touched should be a people that had what they needed right then and, and administer to those people. It's very tempting to be, have all of the riches of the kingdom. I mean, we literally have about 30 people that have sustained night and day prayer here for seven years. Do you know what a miracle that is? That's crazy. That's crazy. It's such a huge miracle. But if God moves somewhere else, something somewhere else, my heart, I don't know about you, but my heart is like, God, why not here? And he's like, why would I disrupt this miraculous thing that I'm doing with you right this second? You'll get something. Just wait. You'll get it. But when you get it, if your heart is reaching for everybody else's stuff, when you get it, it will break you. It will break you. Just wait. What is God doing? What has he been doing in your life? Has he been changing you? If God hasn't been changing you and you've been coming here for seven years, go somewhere else. It's not working. But if he's been changing you, appreciate it. Appreciate how much it's working. It's impossible to change a human being apart from a miracle. It's impossible to change the human heart apart from a miracle. So if you've been changing, thank him. Get into that. Get into that gratitude. Get into appreciating. This is when he took Samantha and I to Israel. I had written in my Bible on December 4th, God really is, has a controversy with me because I don't appreciate what's all around me. Like, I've been striking this rock. Paula was so gracious to help me see this in such a loving way. I've been striking this rock for years because I think we got to go somewhere. And God was not okay with that. He was like, speak to the rock. Sure. Stop hitting it. And when I went to Israel, I walked into the prayer room and I was like, it looks just like here. It's like the same people. There's a couple kids playing in the back, cards. 
Cards are evil. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm not, but there's a couple kids on their cell phone. There's a lady wandering around with a flag, playing a flute, literally interjecting a flute every so many minutes, which you could only think was beautiful if you'd been in a group of people doing night and day prayer for 10 years. You do night and day prayer with people for 10 years, you're like, oh, there, there's the flute lady. But if you haven't been doing that for 10 years, you're like, what the heck is going on? What is going on? But he said to me, he said, doesn't this feel like Kalamazoo? I'm like, yes. He said, have you seen it as beautiful or have you always just wanted it to change to look like something else, like something you saw somewhere else and the truth was, you just always wanted it to change and look like somewhere else. And I'm sorry, I repent before you. I thank you that have tried to tell me this. Thank you. This is amazing. This is so good. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. It's guaranteed. When he does, we actually want to see it for what it is. We want to see it as an opportunity for people that have never seen this to get a chance to come into something that's changed us, that we have a testimony. This changed us. When we were walking with Jesus, I just picture the disciples saying, when we were walking with Jesus and he was telling us stuff, he said stuff and we heard something totally different. We asked him questions that now make no sense to us. We wanted him to do something really quick then that he actually wanted to bring us into and do with us for a thousand years. Like, we saw him, we heard him, we walked with him, but we didn't change really until we went into that room. And when we came out, we prophesied. We healed the sick. We cast out demons. How many of us are right now continually prophesying, healing the sick, casting out demons? Anybody here that their testimony? We have something we're waiting for. If we start moving right when he's about to give it, that would be full of regret, wouldn't it? Don't move yet. Wait for it. He's been making us ready. We can feel it all over the world, all over the world right now. There are people that are feeling like God is going to leave them behind. Do you know that feeling? Does that sound like God? What would God do with somebody like you? What would God do with somebody like you? Do you know how rare you are in all the earth? You're house of prayer people. You are people that come to a place that is difficult to come to. You come hang out with people like me that are difficult to hang out with because we're all so zealous. We're zealous. We want to see the things of God come. We're engaged. We're invested. We're in pain. People that are in that condition, they can be difficult to live with, but we do it. We are rare in all the earth. Thousands of years, not many people could say that they qualify in this way. God sees this as precious, like gold. He's not going to waste it. He's not a madman. He's not stingy. He's not a hard man. He's an amazingly generous God who's, for whatever reason, decided to touch us and gather us together and give us something, each other. He mostly gave us each other. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Okay. Back to the notes. I'm sorry, I went on a rabbit trail. Okay, so this same war occurred in Acts 2 through 6. The Spirit was poured out. Those tarrying were endowed with power from on high. Those wanting truth came and were born again. The participants in the whole process made choices based on the increase and won and lost the war. Acts 6, 2 to 8. Oh, we read that already. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't get all the way through it. So the saying pleased the whole multitude. That's where I 
got distracted. Okay, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Now, Stephen won this war, okay? A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permenius, the pronunciation won't determine whether or not this is true. And Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they lay hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you're talking about revival right here. The Jewish priests started to get saved, okay? And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. The nation of Israel, Rome, religious leadership in Israel, scattered the church in the physical war right after this. So the very next part of the story is Stephen shining like an angel and telling the truth. He went to the bottom. Stephen was like, I'll be a servant. The disciples were like, we're going to give ourselves to the reading of the word and prayer. We've got this important thing going. Stephen's like, I'll serve the tables. Well, Stephen won the war. Did he... Did he live? No, he died. But he's, he'll be in glory forever. He saw past now. He saw past right this second. And forever we're reading this word. I mean, we're, we're reading it even thousands of years later. We know Stephen's name. I can't remember these other guys, but I know Stephen's name. Stephen won the war. Most of the apostles lost the war. Now, were they done? Were they out? No, of course not. This church scattered, and God used that to take it to the ends of the earth. But God told them. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. He actually wanted something that would grow in power and a witness of glory. But he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He will get that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. When will he get that? In the millennial reign. In the millennial reign, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come to the most destroyed city on the planet. And he's going to set up his throne on the top of mine. He's going to breathe on the Antichrist. And then he's going to set up a throne, a governmental center. And from his feet is going to go river. And the river goes two ways. It goes to the Mediterranean Sea and it goes to the Dead Sea. And wherever it goes, it starts to bring back to life everything that was destroyed in the judgment. And then for a thousand years, he's going to renew the earth from Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, back to the Garden of Eden reality. That was always his desire. God doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning in him. But he refuses to make us agree with his desire. So when you read the Bible, you have to read, oh, these are weak and broken people with a nature like Elijah, a nature like ours. They do stuff good. They do stuff bad. What's true? What's true in this? Do you see what I'm saying? If you do that, then you'll see very helpful things that will help you avoid pitfalls. You don't have to learn the hard way. You can actually learn by other people's faith and their problems and their solutions, okay? So the Bible promises both the Acts 2... Oh, I'm sorry. I want to read this. Stephen won the war. Most of the apostles lost the war. The leaders were trying to save their lives and positions, and Stephen was getting ready to lose his life into glory. Moral. Be a servant, not a leader, in the outpouring that happens to your gathering. Find a way to be a servant. Don't worry about your position being taken. Don't worry about your investment being lost. Don't worry about God passing you by. He would not. He is not like that. He would not. He will honor and then some all that you've given to him. Even a glass of cold water, he says, it will never lose its reward, ever. He will never pass you by. He will never forget that. It's mostly the secret things nobody else even knows about that he's waiting to show you off about. He will. So when, when everything starts moving, sifting and shaking, don't worry about your position. Go to the bottom. That's the best place to go. If he finds you at the bottom, he will exalt you. He'll say, come up here with me. If he finds you trying to be at the top, he will say, make room for Samantha. Come on. I had to. Okay, now the Bible promises both the Acts 2, Joel 2, Revelation 7, 8, 10, and 11, outpouring. That's, you're going to find it in all those places, and then some. 
as well as the false signs and wonders which will save people into fear, conformity, and selfishness. The Bible promises both. A real outpouring of the Spirit and a false lying signs and wonders movement. These are going to happen in the same places. The roots are intermingled. The wheat and the tares live right next to each other. They're going to happen in the same rooms. The false lying signs. Anybody here ever gone to a church where like something real is happening and then over here something not real is happening? You should be raising your hand because I know most of you. This is church. This is the way it works. When the spirit moves, the flesh moves. False signs and lying wonders are always going to be mixed in with the real stuff. That's the way it worked with Pharaoh. When Moses came to Pharaoh, he's like, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. He did. The magicians were right there turning water into blood, right there in the same meeting. Moses' staff turns into a snake. The magician's staff, you know, they make snakes. Moses' snake eats their snake. It's all happening right in the very same meeting. Paul told Timothy, Perilous times are going to come. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, having a form of religion, but denying its power. Hungry for the power of God, just denying the way that it happens and waiting. In sanctification, in praying. They just want, they're impatient, they're jealous, they're selfish, they're confused, they're delusional. They think they're serving God, but they're warring against God. He said, I'm telling you this so you don't stumble. That's what he said in John 15. I'm telling you all this so you don't stumble. And then he said, just like Janus and Jambres, And he said, but their folly will be evident to all. I'm not going to let it go on forever, but I am testing you right now. Paul told Peter, God's going to test you with signs and wonders over and over. I mean, he said it many times. You're being tested by the outpouring of the Spirit always. And it's God. It's God letting it happen. It's God doing it. You don't have to be like, that's not God. That's the devil. The devil can't do that. It's God. The devil couldn't even blow down Job's kids' houses. He had to go and ask permission. And God was like, okay, don't touch his body. And then Satan had to go ask to touch his body. Like, there's no devil outpouring of power. The devil's got no power without God. God gives the devil authority because that's what the people want. The people are impatient. They just want signs and wonders. And so God's going to give it to people. He's going to give them strong delusions, what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2. Why? Because they didn't love the truth. What is the truth? What is the truth? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We all, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, from strength to strength, from glory to glory, becoming as the Lord. What is Jesus like? Is Jesus impatient? No. This is simple. The gospel is actually really, really simple. There's not some move in here that you haven't heard about that's about to happen. And if we don't understand, get into it. Join the club. Go with them. We're going to miss it. No. If you're looking, if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary of Bethany, gazing at this man, then at the right moment, you're going to pour out everything you got on his feet. But if you're running around the house trying to make sure everything's great for him, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Stand with me. That's enough. There's a ton more in the notes. A lot more. There's six pages of notes. I knew I wasn't going to get through all that. I didn't know how much I was going to get through. But all he wants to do right now, he wants you to feel how pleased he is with you. He wants you to get loved right now. He would never pass you by, ever. You don't have to go find it. You did. 
If you're changing, you did. If you're not changing, go find it, for real. But if you've been changing, then you know where the power to change a human heart is. Stay there. Stay at his feet. Keep looking at him. Let the wind of the waves happen. He'll get you right to him. He really will. You'll walk on that water. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. That's sifting and shaking. That wind, that fire. He says, I've got my winnowing fork in my hand. I'm thoroughly going to clean my threshing floor. I will baptize with the spirit and fire and burn up the chaff. Holy Spirit in this room. Just let's, let's just hold our hearts before him. Lord, anything that's chaff, anything that's easily moved, easily blown away. Let's deal with it right now, God. Anything that's easily blown away, let's just deal with it right now. God, I thank you. I thank you for your rod of correction. It's so good. It's so good, God. How could we live without it? But I thank you for your wind. I thank you the way that you're touching places all over the world right now. I just say, that's a good God. I want to believe you're good for me too. Lord, in this room, as we open our hearts before you, as we open this door, fill us with love. Fill my friends with love, God. Fill me with love. Help us to see. You don't waste people that want you. You're not fickle at all. God, my experience with you is anything. It's that you're not fickle. You should have left me a long time ago, but you don't. Pour out your grace in this room. Pour out your power. Lord, make us ready for the people you're going to bring, the, the people you're going to bring that want to witness what we're doing here. Make us ready right now. It's where there's jealousy, fear, striving, anxiety. It's where we're afraid of what we're going to look like or sound like. Just take that out of us, God. It doesn't matter. We're yours, God. We just want to look and sound like you. Fill us up with Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, come.